says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. We mentioned it last week, but we are moving to a new format in a positive sense. We're not dialing back the content. We're amping it up. Tri-weekly format for the podcast now, uh, which means instant reaction podcast sort of leads off or finishes off the week, depending on how you see that. Next up is the midweek NRL and uh, Parramatta News and Beyond, which will be featuring Spiro as well as myself and 60s, and then we wrap it all up or sort of kick it off once again, depending on your sort of your perspective on the week with the big preview podcast at the end of the work week to preview all three grades, depending on who's playing where and when. But for now, that means given it's the midweek... News team, assemble! Joining me on the TCT Nonstop News Network is my good mate 60s, the co-host and co-anchor of every good episode of the Tip Sheet. How you doing, mate? Mate, well, it's been 48 hours since the Holiday Monday Massacre, so that's probably 48 hours of healing that I needed, so I'm ready for the the podcast and ready to look ahead at the redemption that lies this weekend yeah, for we, all of us. Uh, Lance the wound, bled the poison out. We uh, did our post-match instant reaction, obviously, and then followed it up with uh, Team West Tuesday, which pretty much as expected, given it was a five-day turnaround, no noticeable changes. But we're going to talk about that in the preview podcast. For now, though, uh, let's get into it and introduce our third member of the Midweek Podcast. Well, that member is, of course... 2GB's very own Spiro Christopoulos. And Spiro, it's probably not the sort of welcome that we'd love to be giving you, talking about an Eels win as well as the general NRL news. But welcome anyway, mate. Thanks for joining us in this new specialised midweek segment. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, a little bit flat after Monday's win, but can I say on a side note that it was a fantastic weekend, the rugby league. I managed to watch, I think, just about every single game of the round, the full 80 minutes of every game. I haven't done that for it's, such a long time. It, it, it's the four-day um, work, four work week, mate. Let's it's, it's work Tuesday to Friday and have footy Friday to Monday. It just makes sense. So good. You know, state of origin, little day in between, then into Friday. So it was, you know what? It was a great weekend. It would have been a cherry on top with a win on Monday, mm-hmm. but... That wasn't the case, and we're going to dive into that very shortly. Well, mate, you're you're a young man. You're uh, not married. Make hay while the sun shines in terms of getting your rugby league fix in. And I uh, now I don't mean that to sound sexist, anyways, because we've got all our ladies out there who love their their footy. They love their footy fix over the weekend. But you never know, mate. You never know when you you know partner enters your life whether they will have the same passion for footy as you've got. So, as I said, make hay while the sun shines. All these weekends of wall to wall footy, brilliant. Well, that's uh, great advice. But I'm a man on a mission. Whoever my partner is one day has to be a footy fan and has to love it as well. Like it's not going to be a deciding factor, but 
it would be ideal. So uh, that's a part of the criteria, if you like, in searching for the, uh, the future misses. So now, hang on. Let, let's, for a little bit of fun sidelight, just imagine the scenario where the lady that comes into your life is not an eel supporter. They're a football, oh. they have a passion for football, but they're not an eel supporter. You, you can't, you can't help feeling how you feel for the person that comes into your life. The, the ideal person comes in, and she's a bulldog supporter. Well, it's ironic you say that because a good friend of mine that I'm chatting to at the moment uh, is a rugby league supporter, and she's a Bulldogs fan. So it's uh, it's nothing serious, but just a friend of mine, Bulldogs fan. So I had to swallow a little bit of my pride this oh, week yeah. <laughs> uh, post-game. Yeah. <laughs> post but, um, but it is what it is, I guess, just a bit of friendly banter. And just for the record, she's not one of those annoying Bulldogs fans that pesters you and comes out of the woodwork and contacts you you know, for the first time in three months, just because Parra's losing? Because I have a few friends like that oh, as well. Oh, yeah, they, they, they're part of every <laughs> fandom, but I've got a few, few Bulldogs mates and family that are like that. They uh, <sighs> don't, don't say a peep for two or three years. <laughs> get, get a big win all of a sudden. They're uh, climbing all over you, telling you how good they are. But uh, that's, that's sports, isn't it? That's rugby league. So uh, Eels, that's right. Eels making yeah. an absolute meal of it on Monday, mate. Jeez. Oh. Yeah, so let's... Let's dive into it. We're, Forty mm. and I have torn the band-aid off to a, an extent with our Instant Reaction podcast, but we, we still have to talk about it. What, what did you see there on Monday, Spiro? Really tough loss to absorb, guys, and I've listened to your Instant Reaction podcast and looked at all the analysis, and there's, plenty of, there's been plenty of talk in the media about the results as well. But I think, as you said, we need to just touch on it briefly. And my biggest irk on Monday was that there was just a lack of heart and a mm. lack of desire from the whole team. And, and BA said it in the press conference. Mitch Moses said it post-game that it's an attitude issue. And it was pretty obvious to me that it was more than just uh, the football. It was a mentality thing. It was a mindset thing. The Bulldogs were hungry. They wanted it more. But off the back of a buy round, there are no excuses and we should have come with the hunger. As you guys mentioned, there's a bit of a reset. This is the second half of our season. Let's, you know, just think it's a clean slate and we're going to now really push for the premiership. And going into this game, I actually expected to see a bit of a new look side in terms of the way they were playing, you know, mid-season, have a little bit of a change up and, and I was expecting a lot more than what we got. And as I said, my biggest disappointment was just the lack of heart and desire to win. That's very and, fair. Yeah. And I, there's a, there was a moment in the game, very early on in the game, and I don't know whether you noticed it, and it's, it was drawn to my attention um, by a wise person the other day. And it was where Dylan Brown copped a hit, went to the ground, and then a Canterbury player came in, gave him some while he was on the ground. Like, just nothing illegal about it, but was close to crossing the line with the hit that he put on and you'd half expect if you if one of your halves gets smashed like that when they're on the ground that the forwards might fire up a bit you know whether it to come in and and let the opposition know hey that's not on whatever the case may be there wasn't that fire in the belly that this had just been done to one of their halves and a bloke who's been in outstanding form this year and oh, 
you know, in retrospect, looking at that, I think that spoke a bit about the lack of fire, the lack of um, heart, the passive, desire that was there. Yeah, they were, they were, they were so passive. That's Great it. observation. Yeah, that, that's oh, it. And, and you know, you don't want to see you don't want to see a silly penalty given away or, or what have you. But when you've got a, a bloke, your halfbacks line prone on the ground, and then the opposition just comes in and gives them the big whack. Not not just a normal, not not a touch them while they're on the ground, not come over and, and put that hand on, or not even just a simple flop on them, but really hammers them. You'd like to see the forwards fire up about that. That's you'd like exactly to see, right. You'd like to at least see them come in and give a bit of a push and shove and say, get off him or, you know, or even pointing at them and saying, you're going to get yours or whatever the case may be. It was just to use 40s words just then, just so passive in the response. And I think, again, it was another example of what their minds were at. It was just, yeah, they, I think they just thought they had to go through the process. Like the, not even the process because they, we they didn't discussed. Go, they didn't, they didn't the follow process. Yeah, process. That, that is what made me so mad is that if they'd gone through the motions in terms of doing the structures but like not necessarily at full pace, I think they win that game easy. But yeah. they, they just got so far out of sync and out of order that they uh, let not only let the Bulldogs dictate both sides of the game, but were just panicked in how they approached the football. It was crazy. And and just on that, Spiro, what's your thoughts on the forwards? Before I jump into the forwards, just two quick little observations. The first one is about the halves, right? Mitchell Moses, I'm a, I like to think I'm a bit of a body language expert that I can look at people's faces and be able to read their emotions. And the camera was on Mitch quite a bit during that game. And I was looking at his face and it looked like he was disinterested and he didn't really, unfortunately, have a lot of, I don't know, heart or passion in terms of that game. And he was saying it's an attitude thing, but I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I think Mitch is a part of that attitude issue. And it's, it's terrible, you know, when he's your, your main man. So that's just one little observation from me, which I picked up throughout the game and through the camera shots to Mitch's face. I've never really seen that emotion or that look on his face before. Second thing is the parallel to the Tigers game, how we looked panicked and we tried to overplay our hand a little bit. That was a problem when we played the Tigers on Easter Monday and, and there were definitely parallels from that match to what we saw on uh, Monday, the Queen's birthday public holiday game. In terms of the forwards, I, I feel like they've got to get back to what they were doing so well early in this earlier this year, and that was running hard and running straight and not trying to ball play too much. We saw at State of Origin, Junior Paulo was probably trying to ball play a little bit too much and wasn't really sticking to what he's been doing in the, the front end of the year, which is just running really hard, direct and straight and bumping off a few tackles and not trying to offload off every play or every piece passenger play, but picking his moments. And I think just overall, not pointing the finger at anyone in particular, but just generally, the forwards need to go back to those values of running straight and hard. And I'm sure you'll see a bit of a difference. But we're trying to overplay our hand too much, be a little bit too uh, ball playing in our style, the football. And if we continue to do that, it's going to make it hard to, you know, beat teams that have those dominant forward packs and and those sides which are, you know, really elusive. And we had BA mention about the the simple match plan that he wanted the uh, players to follow, which was essentially that winning the middle, just the the forwards 
getting that simple job done, you know, tuck the ball under the arm, run hard, tackle hard, all that sort of stuff. They're not out there doing it. The role of the captain then. What yeah. method, the, ca- the captain is the coach's voice out on the field. There has to be some level of disappointment that uh, BA must have felt in the communication, on the on-field communication of his captain. Because if the captain can't deliver that message to the forwards, and we do have a, a co-captain who's a forward, but the, the, that we've got Gutho's been a captain of the club for a number of years now. Get your job done, fellas. Like that's it. This has to be that message, you know, um, unless his head wasn't in the game either and that he's just as culpable of that, of, of us going away from the match plan. I, I have to consider that. I mean, Brad talked about all 34 players on the day across the two grades not doing what they needed to do. So he didn't excuse anyone. So mm-hmm. I'd like to think that he holds every single one of them accountable for their roles or their lack of following their roles, including the captains. Um, now, just touching on that, I mentioned that all 34 players, we had the news come out about uh, the appointment of uh, Jordan Rankin um, uh, to that captain-coach role. Uh What's what's your thoughts there? When I first saw it, my thought was that it just sounded a little bit amateurish. I haven't really heard of a captain coach at this level in such a long time. We see it in, you know, your group five or group seven rugby league out in the country. Yes, it's common. They have a lack of resources out there and their captain usually serves as their coach as well. They don't train much. They train a couple times a week, play on the Saturday. And I guess it's sort of the same with New South Wales Cup because they are technically, um, you know, football is what they love and what they do, but they might have jobs on the side or, you know, they're not training at that intensity and that level as a first graders. But still, a captain-coach combo, we haven't seen it in quite a long time. So I was a little bit shocked when I saw it at first. I thought that they would have been able to appoint someone within the club ranks to that at least acting head coach role to then enable Jordan Rankin to really focus on his playing and his leadership within the side. And the results so far have been okay. Obviously, Monday's result for the New South Wales Cup boys was disappointing, but he's been a part of, or he's played that role of captain coach when we beat Mounties and the Raiders and whatnot. So it's a it's a questionable decision, I think. But I think, uh, 60s, you've had a little bit more of an insight as to what this role entails, and you're not too concerned. And Given the fact that you're there watching training most of the time and you're really uh, inside uh, the inner sanctum of that New South Wales Cup team, I'm confident in what your takes and your view is on it. Yeah, it's. I think perception straight away is that it's not the best option that they could have taken. I mean, that's the general perception out there. Watching training... Uh, from what I've seen, it which goes back, as I said, since Kidwell was first announced as departing, from that very first session, it was a case of Ryan Carr had been moved up into the assistant coach NRL level. But I honestly did, haven't seen too much difference at all in what's happening during training. Now, 
albeit I haven't been to as many sessions as I might have in past years. I've, I've had a few other commitments, but I have been to a few sessions over this period. And here's my observations. The team that takes the field for the New South Wales Cup are all basically full-time players. They're uh, at whatever level that they're at, be they development contract players or uh, players that are on an NRL deal, you're pretty much looking at all uh, 13 that take the field are there for training through the week. That means they've got four coaches. And when I say four coaches, they've got BA, they've got Murph, they've got Ryan Carr, and they've also got Paul McGregor, who's pretty much been there on every day that I've seen. Now, what then happens is they do all the training together as a group. They're doing their opposed work. They're working through skills sessions, that sort of thing. And then when they get towards the end, they might do a little bit as two distinct teams. So by that, I mean they might just practice running through a few sets and shapes and and that sort of thing, in which case two things have happened. Either uh, Rankin has been the main voice there for the uh, New South Wales Cup team and or Ryan Carr or one of the coaches has been there with them while he's been doing that. And then there might be a little bit of time where Rankin speaks to them and, and nothing too dissimilar to like in a captain's run where the captain has a bit of a chat to the team and he'd be having a bit of a chat to the team and then they go off and then they do their individual extras. So it wasn't really too different to whatever had been happening up there anyway. Now, the main concern would then be what happens um, for match day or maybe what happens where they bring in the part-timers. So if there's any part-timers that are involved, they normally have a session that's outside of the normal full-time hours. So they might do a, a session later in the day or uh, or whenever they can so the others can join them for a captain's run. Um, it's not always the case, but, uh, you know, they can sometimes do it like if they're playing on a Sunday, they might be able to do a, a captain's run on a Monday, uh, Saturday morning and have the part-timers join them there. But for the most part, they're full-timers. So come match day, what happens? They need someone up in the coach's box. Now, the indication has been that uh, Parramatta said that the uh, Pathways coaches will provide assistance where necessary, and I believe that that's possibly where that comes in. So one of the lower-grade coaches um, from FLEG, uh, be it uh, Craig Brennan or maybe uh, Simon Wolford, whoever might be available, comes in, sits in the box, uh, coach's box, and can relay messages from that box level. So uh, there's, look, there's, I think it hasn't changed too much. It's probably not ideal, but I don't know that you'd make too much change in the middle of a season. That's understandable. And I think it just makes sense for him to slot into that role, captain, coach, do his thing, and then reassess things at the end of the season. Because we've only got about, I don't know, 10 or so games or 11 games to go before the final series, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, – and and look, the thing was they lost on the weekend and it wasn't a great game, but they lost Rankin in about the and 29th Hayes minute. And following him too, so 
Yeah, yeah. So a a double whammy in terms of players going off. And that happened at a time where they were controlling that about a 10-point lead in the game. And Rankin does an extremely good job from fullback in terms of directing the play with both attack and defence. He, uh, look, it wasn't surprising, entirely surprising that they thought he, he could fill that captain coach uh, role because he's actually involved in coaching the uh, junior reps team. So he, he does a bit of specialist coaching with them. It's probably part of it. He, he may be starting his career, um, the, a coaching career at the moment, um, given that sort of role that he, he takes within the club and now this uh, it, additional role with the New South Wales Cup. So if he's got intention of following that path, then he's commencing it that, now. That was something I was going to mention, 60s, is that it's something we heard in the Junior Reps Awards night. He was spoken about glowingly for the mentorship and guidance that he was providing on the pathways. So this yes. could be a, a legitimate post-career or post-playing post playing career uh, step for him. Yeah, and this sort of role has allowed him to be part of the full-time squad when he doesn't have a full-time contract. So he's been employed by the club to provide that mentoring and guidance as a coach in the uh, junior pathways. And now he's stepping that up at the level that he's playing at. So, um, yeah, interesting. Um, But, look, I do understand observations from the outside where people are saying, well, this just doesn't happen. Um, and the concerns that they have. But as I said, in that full-time capacity, uh, I haven't seen too much change whatsoever. So um, now just moving on from that, uh, we've had the Eels players that were selected in Origin, and now we've got Eels players in Pacific Tests. We saw that news come out today with the New Zealand and the Tonga teams being announced for the big match Saturday week across the ditch in New Zealand. It'll be great to see international footy back on our screens. I'm really looking forward to a couple of these games. You've also got the Papua New Guinea Kumuls against the Fiji Bati at Campbelltown. You've also got Samoa up against, I believe, the Cook Islands. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, boys. I think I've got that right. So that looking forward to those games coming up. But in terms of the Eels, boys picked... A really good reward for, for some of them. Murata Niakore, Isaiah Papali'i, Dylan Brown, all picked in the Kiwi side. And uh, Will Penasini in the Tongas team. So very exciting. And as I said, a great reward, especially for Dylan Brown. Despite Monday's performance, I think he's been one of our best all year and he deserves to be in that team. And as for Isaiah Papali'i and Murata Niakore, they've also been doing really well and running really hard and representing the club on a, a fine, uh, you know, doing a fine job representing the club this year. So great to see them picked. And Will Panasini as well as a young gun, as an emerging star, yeah. 19 years old, being able to get some experience in a representative arena like that. And he's got the likes of Jason Tamalolo around him, Katoni Staggs, Daniel Tupo, possibly, which we'll get to in a moment. But you just look at that team all around. It's, um, it's a, a great great squad and no doubt will will pick up a lot of fantastic things in the camp for Tonga and then bring that back to clubland. So just yeah, to clarify, and, um, just to clarify the, the fixtures quickly. There's a great anecdote that I'm going to get 40 to share because um, we were there uh, very early on in Murata's career and overheard something. 
that was said to him. 40, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, um, I think we would have been out at a, a training per, a session. This would have been what, what back in 2017, 60s? I Something think. like that, it, yeah. It was going back a few years and a uh, long-time uh, contributor to the tip sheet, one of our great guests that we have on, Joey Grimer, was uh, doing a bit of field work with uh, some of the extra boys in the extras there and he pulled Murata over and, and told us that he's going to be a heck of a player and then one day... Not too far off, he'll pull on the, the jersey for the All Blacks, not All Blacks, but for New Zealand. And, uh, you know, I think Murata was a bit sheepish and, and wasn't quite sure about Joe's words then, but uh, all the hard work from uh, Murata's paid off and it's a well-deserved call-up. He has been phenomenal for the Eels for a number of years and we've already spoken about how much we're going to miss him moving forwards, but uh, what a reward for uh, Murata and, and what a way for him to celebrate his final year at the Eels. Well, I think I that, remember, yeah. would have been, that probably would have been the uh, pre season to the end of 2017 the preseason of 2018 something around oh, that there that sounds about right yeah that, i think that's the rough timeline so um he, he's been right thereabouts for a number of years now but uh, has had some unlucky timing of injuries and suspensions and uh, i think you know new zealand are just ready now for the energy and and the uh sort of uh bruising play that he brings he, you know he's a enforcer out there and he'll be great in this test match and which just to clarify Spiro you mentioned the lineup on Saturday it kicks off in New Zealand with the New Zealand uh, Tonga matchup then we go to Campbelltown where Samoa will take on the Cook Islands followed by Papua New Guinea and Fiji so it's a massive massive Saturday and it's become a real for me a real highlight on the calendar and I'm, I'm loving the place that the international game's going to in terms of the Pacific Nations and the fact we've missed it, haven't we? The last couple of years yeah. with COVID. Yep, and and the fact that they're they're no, I mean, they're obviously not genuine tier one teams yet, except for maybe Tonga, who've had some outstanding results. But they're not second class citizens anymore. We've got legitimate NRL stars wanting to play for these countries and make them into something greater than they have been. So it's led to some great football. It's going to lead to even better football, and it's something that, like I said, I, I sit down for this weekend now, and I look forward to it. And, and Spiro, you you started mentioning a couple of names, but they're names that have been in origin recently. It's a little bit confusing, and that that's been the main main headlines out of these squad announcements today. That Daniel Tupa and Katoni Staggs, two of the New South Wales Blues players from Game One, have both been picked in the Tonga squad for the upcoming uh, match against New Zealand. Now it's it's interesting because. At this stage, neither of them have actually pledged their allegiance to Tonga or New South Wales for that match. It's still uncertain. And by the end of the week, we will know more where those two players want to play next weekend, whether it's in Perth for Origin or across the ditch in New Zealand for the Pacific Test. Now, from what we hear, Daniel Tupo, this is based on what Brad Fittler said earlier this week, Daniel Tupo wants to represent Tonga at the World Cup but he's still happy to play for the Blues next weekend. Katoni Staggs, he didn't really comment on, but this will basically force their hand because they've been picked in this squad. I highly doubt they're going to get overlooked for the Blues side unless Daniel Tupo is out of the squad and you bring Josh Adokar in. That'd be the only possibility if Tupo gets overlooked. I'm not sure. I don't think Katoni will get overlooked. I think they'll give him a second chance. Injury was the only thing. Uh, that was creating a little bit of doubt over his game to selection. So watch this space. It'll be a very interesting couple of days. And if they both, say, pledge their allegiance for Tonga, then where does this leave the Blues? Luttrell, 
We've heard some really fiery comments from Jason Demetrio, the Rabbitohs coach today, saying that Latrell will not be will not have match fitness for game one, and there shouldn't be a uh, game two. Sorry, and there shouldn't be pressure on him. So, do you put Matt Burton in the centres and then add O'Carr on the wing? I'm not too sure. I mean, Burton's been in great form. I know he's been playing in the halves for the Bulldogs, but it'd be hard not to pick him if uh, Katoni rules himself out. Yeah, and it it. There's an indication from Fittler that he likes club combinations out there. Um, now, just not too far down the track, we've got the 2022 NRLW season starting, but the, there's been announcements about next year and about expansion. Can you take us through that, mate? Yeah, it's been in the pipeline for a little while now, and we saw earlier this year a couple of clubs, including the Tigers, the Cowboys, the Sharks, and the Raiders all present their cases for a NRLW license, and news today is that all four clubs have been successful, so from season 2023, so that'll be next year's NRLW season, the league will expand to 10 teams, which is really good, and they're growing at a rapid pace, and Really good. The Tigers, sorry. The Tigers uh, did get a license as well. So Tigers, Raiders, um, Cowboys, and uh, Sharks. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. Andrew Rabda has plans for the NRLW competition to be at 18 teams by the year 2028 and 18 men's teams by 2028. So they're working towards that. They're building a lot of momentum. And I actually watched a, a bit of the national championships last weekend. It was a real thrill, the women's national championships, which was played up at Pizzy Park on the Gold Coast. Some really good matches. I, I enjoyed watching the New South Wales City team play. Ruben Charrington, one of our signings for the NRLW side, was a star. She played at hooker and... And she actually captained the side as well. So really good to see Ruben playing well. Unfortunately for the City team, they didn't get the win. They made the grand final. They finished runners-up. But Ruben will be a fantastic asset. And her combination with uh, her sister Kennedy will be crucial for Parramatta in the upcoming NRLW season. But really good for the women's game. And what it means with these extra teams is that more talented young girls are going to have the chance to play at the top level. And it's just fantastic because there's a big pool of female participation across Australia. And it's good that now we're finally expanding into some areas, including Canberra and North Queensland as well. And it's only only upwards from here. So really good news for the NRLW today. I haven't really seen too much about uh, contracts or length of contracts, but I would imagine that as the NRLW goes through this expansion that players are only signed short-term to give every new franchise an opportunity to uh, recruit established players because if you've got the top-line players aligned with existing clubs for any lengthy period of time, it would make being able uh, new clubs being able to compete with them without access to those players for their roster very, very difficult. And, look, the good thing is, uh, is that they're only one-year contracts. So yeah. basically each year they re-sign. So it gives, like you said, those expansion teams the chance to actually make their mark and have some marquee players in there. And it was good for Parramatta 
having the likes of Tiana Penatani, both still very Welsh in there last year. So, yeah, it is a, a huge announcement and uh, it's fantastic for the for the future of the, the competition and the women's game. I think that's it's certainly something that we're going to be talking about down the track when it comes to expansion and the nature of the competition, whether they look at having uh, a change of dates in the season, whether they start to have... Uh, I suppose repeat rounds, like um, uh, rather than just a, a straight out uh, six round season yeah, or eight round season or whatever, playing that. everyone once, uh, move around to play playing each other twice. Uh, you've, you're then starting to examine how much money is needed in the game to support that. Uh, clubs like Parramatta had a very good model where they were self sufficient in funding the uh, the the team. However, there is the demand for the ladies to receive more money and the greater the time commitment for a longer season, the more they can start to push claims for uh, higher pay. So it's, it's going to be interesting and in whether they have them as curtain raises for NRL matches or they have them as uh, standalone events, they're all things to be considered because um, there, there's also the question of, does that then demote the New South Wales Cup or reserve grade, which is the feeder for the NRL competition, uh, in its standing? So I think there's a, there's a lot to digest. I'm suspecting that they're moving along the lines of each match day feature in the NRL will also feature an NRLW game. I suspect that's the path that they'd be going down. Not too sure, but I suspect that. Um, now, finally... It pains me to talk about this, mate, but uh, Mick Potter, he, he had his um, almost a dress rehearsal for a role at the Dogs. Do you think the Dogs are likely to consider someone like him as uh, as a coach? I think it's important we speak about this, guys, because we like to do a bit of NRL news as well. And I actually really like Mick Potter. He's a lovely guy, and I've met him on a number of occasions. Always very generous with his time. Really good to chat to, has given me some great insights in the past about some of the players coming through the ranks at Parramatta when he was at the club. And I'm really happy to actually see him doing well. I think he's a a good coach and he might be the man for the job at the Bulldogs. We saw a couple of articles written about this during the week in the media. He's got the DNA. He's got the Dogs DNA. He won Dalian medals with them. He was a player there. He was a successful player there. And... I think that they should really consider him for the top job because over the last month, and not just I'm not just saying this because they won on Monday, but I've seen some really good performances from the Bulldogs and the style of football's changed. They are a little bit more sort of free-flowing in their style. They're not as structured, which is a sort of good thing. And we saw that, you know, scoring trials of kicks on Monday and stuff like that. And their defense as well. Mick Potter has had this huge emphasis every single post-match press conference and pre-game press conference that he's been a part of, the message has been defense, defense, defense. We need to tighten up our defense. And we saw that on Monday. They just played a really tough, gritty style of football. And I think they should really consider him for the top job because he's got the experience. We had He had his fair share of issues at the Tigers, which is a really hard club to be the head coach of. But I think the dog should maybe sign Mick Potter on a two-year deal as a head coach and give him a go, especially well, if he wins a few more games before the end of the year. Well, the 
the noise that often comes out of the the bulldogs, especially from supporters, is that they like to have someone who's got a background within the club. That's the that's the preference that they seem to have. So he ticks that box there. Um, uh, I, I still it it still grates me even talking about how he had such success <laughs> against us on the on Monday. It's um, uh, but as you say, we are covering our NRL news, so we are going to talk about other clubs here and there, as much as it might be one that re- relives painful memories, painful recent memories. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, just quickly, guys, I've got a little bit of breaking news as well before we finish up. I've been alerted to a couple of signings or uh, signing rumours this afternoon. Now, the first one is Brenko Lee, who will be heading to the Dolphins for season 2023. He was play, he's playing at the Broncos at the moment, but he will join his cousin, Edric Lee, up there at the Dolphins next year. So that's the first bit of signing news. The second bit affects Parramatta. Now, there are rumours circulating that Tom Opacek could be heading to the Super League, and apparently there are several clubs chasing him at the moment, including Hull KR. So there's a lot of interest for Tom Opacek. Uh, he's not playing first grade at the moment. We saw he played reserve grade last week and with, you know, Wanga Blake back in the side and Micah back, that means that Opacek has been shifted back to reserve grade, but he may not be a Parramatta Eel from next year. So watch this space. This could be quite interesting. I've been resigned to Opa moving on just by nature of the crowded backline we have at the Parramatta Eels. And uh, I would have been sad in just that regard because he's been a fantastic servant to the club working as that backup centre, being really solid and a pro's pro, really. But I think he's got plenty of the offer for a team in the NRL. I'd, I'd be genuinely surprised if he ended up in the Super League. I feel like whether it's the Dolphins or a number of other teams that could use just a, a rock-solid centre, I, I think he's got something to offer. And I'm sure that there would be an offer from the Eels for him to stick around, uh, whether that offer would financially match the offers from other clubs or from the Super League would be another matter. But I think he's performed quite well. I think it was unlucky that he missed out in the uh, reshuffle of the Parramatta backline with Sevo returning. But And, in fact, uh, I wouldn't have been having too many issues if BA had kept the same backline as what was functioning before. I can see the logic in what uh, BA went with. And um, and even though Opa played uh, below his best in the reserve grade on Monday, I still think he was unlucky to miss out on the first grade team. So, um, well, mate, that's, that's interesting news there. So... Oh, wow. Look, plenty that we've covered. Absolutely plenty that we've covered. There's never a shortage of news in the NRL, really, <laughs> is there? It's, um, and, and of course, even though the, that the pain was there, plenty to cover with the Eels also. That's it, 100%. And then Roosters, on to uh, another game, and I know you guys will cover this in your preview podcast, but uh, looking and looking forward to hearing that one later on in the week. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the response. This is a real test of character on Saturday night, so we need to bounce back with a win. The Roosters, I'm surprised that they've named a full-strength team uh, despite Luke Keery copping that nasty head knock last Saturday mm. against Melbourne. So, yeah, big game this Saturday. It's a it's a big test for our club. Yeah, I, I think watch this space. 
him getting the, the clearance for the uh, concussion. It's, I don't know, it's, it, it, I'm a bit uncomfortable about that and I'm not talking about from wanting another player to be out. It's just you, know, you feel like there's something doesn't, doesn't quite feel right with that. But um, let's, uh, let's press on with uh, Eels having to worry about themselves, not about what happens with the opposition. So, exactly. uh, mate, as always, brilliant to talk to you. And uh, if we don't catch you at the game itself on Saturday, we'll certainly be catching up next week. That's right. I'll, I'll do my best to pop over and see you guys either before or after the game. Looking forward to it. I'll be out there as a spectator. So looking forward to that. It's actually my second game uh, all year that I've actually been to as a spectator. So really pumped for Saturday night. That's it. Mate, it's, it's a different feel, isn't it? Uh, going there uh, as part of a job yeah. as opposed to going there, being able to just be a spectator and, and, and let your hair down and enjoy it. So hopefully we catch up either either before, during, or uh, if not, after the game back at uh, Jack's Bar and Grill in Paraleagues. Sounds good. And let's hope we're talking about a para win this time next week. Essential. It's essential. (laughs) (laughs) I know. know. Enjoy the rest of the week, guys. Talk next time. Gotcha. Thanks, mate. So just a recap as we're talking about NRL news and that involving the Parramatta Eels and Paradise. Uh, We've got a new captain coach in the New South Wales Cup in Jordan Rankin. So he's he's done that officially effective immediately as of the game against the Canterbury Bulldogs. But as we know, it's been in play since David Kidwell moved on. Uh, we've had uh, a whole number of Parramatta Eels named for both New Zealand and Tonga. Dylan Brown and Murata Niakore getting their made in New Zealand caps in the uh, the what's it, the weekend off, so the rep weekend uh, game against uh, Tonga with uh, Will Penasini and well, Azai Papali also named for New Zealand, sorry, and Will Penasini named as 19th man for Tonga. So fantastic uh, rewards for a number of the Eels' key contributors to the first half of the season there. And uh, on top of that, we've had that breaking news about Tom Opochik potentially finding a new home in the Super League, which, like I said, would be very, very surprising, uh, given that I think he has a lot to offer for not just the Eels, but plenty of other teams in the NRL. And then uh, moving on, a couple of things that we weren't able to talk with with Spiro. Uh, there was a, a humor, I'm not sure if humorous is the right word, 60s, but uh, there was a moment on the weekend where we thought that Andrew Davey was coming home for a couple of years. I think it was Dean Ritchie. That led with an article on uh, the Daily Telegraph saying that the Eels were signing uh, Andrew Davey back on a two-year deal, uh, which was then quickly pulled. You don't see it too often, but the actual article was pulled from the website uh, with the Eels uh, sort of, uh, I think, unofficially confirming that that wasn't actually the case. So I'm not really sure what had happened there. How a, a Well, all you, all you can assume there is that... Uh, it's obviously it, – it hadn't happened. The Telegraph obviously got wind that it wasn't true, and so the story was yeah, it's full not, because – it's, not, it's yeah. not often you see a, a confirmed signing story get it that badly wrong. Usually they're, they're – you know, as much as we like to uh, sort of press the buttons of the media about how low-quality some of the stuff is in terms of clickbait and whatnot, when they announce signings articles, they don't get it wrong. So I don't know how they managed to pull that one out of their hat, but nonetheless, the article doesn't exist anymore and – you know, maybe Andrew Davey signs of us at some point, but he certainly hasn't for now. So, uh, yes, the and, I, and I think people expected that that wasn't out of the realms of possibility because of the fact that he's he's he still uh, shares accommodation, I believe, with Sean Lane, uh, strong connections within the Parramatta club who helped him to 
ignite his NRL career at a, a late age. Uh, but uh, as far as NRL debuts are concerned, a late age. But um, if it's just not true, it's not true. And exactly. and so we we wonder how on earth they came up with that uh, announcement when it seems like they didn't ever confirm it with the eels themselves. Mm. Uh, you'd you'd have to you, you have to almost assume that they've uh, looked to confirm the news maybe post um, it being. Uh, put up online, and uh, we're told no, it, it's no, that's not the case. So, uh, whatever it is, as you say, yeah, bizarre the, sequencing. It's been, but... it's been taken down. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's like the story never happened, and uh, we move on. Yeah, and it's not like the Daily Telegraph needs to issue a retraction or apology. It was a signing, no. signing news, but not right. It's not like they was defamatory or anything like that just you know you don't you don't usually see it happen like that it's just why it's so bizarre they usually are on the money when it comes to confirmed signings so yeah very very odd there uh but uh the other thing that came of the weekend was indirect ryan madison developments while there was no uh moving of the needle one way or the other in terms of where madison is going for season 2023 and beyond uh the daily telegraph were running with the line that the Parramatta Eels are monitoring the Angus Crichton situation at the Sydney Roosters uh, in the case or event that Madison would depart the Parramatta Eels. He is their uh, next option. So Crichton obviously was meant to have been signed by the Roosters at this point, but due to cap pressure at their club, they couldn't actually sign him to the money that was handshook and agreed upon. So there's a bit of tension there, and he hasn't uh, re-upped at this point. So... Yeah, that's a pretty solid, I'd say, contingency plan if Madison were to depart. I think they're very similar players. Uh, Crichton, very handy and probably more of an edge back rower uh, outright, whereas Madison's made that transition to the middle and is still effective on the edges, as we saw against Penrith. But yeah, that's uh, I don't know how much credence there is to the rumour 60s, but it looks like a pretty solid backup plan should things go the wrong way with Ryan Madison. I think all you can say there is that you fall a train of logic and you go Parramatta is prepared to shell out a competitive offer to retain Ryan Madison uh, to try and prevent him to go to the Dolphins and we know that the Dolphins are looking at him as a marquee recruit so you have to assume then that the Parramatta to be competitive would have had to have offered a decent amount so if they're prepared to throw, I shouldn't say throw, if they are prepared (laughs) to offer an amount that is good enough to be competitive with Dolphins money, that such coin is available to replace him if he does leave. And so, again, it's logical that they are looking at someone who is worth that amount of money to come in. And, And someone like Crichton fits the bill. Now, whether... That is, in actuality, what's happening. We can't say. We don't know. But, again, that that logic says if you've got one player marked down as a, as a target, if you'd have a backup plan, and the backup plan would be someone that would be of reasonably um, equal sort of talent mm-hmm. and, and cost to the club. So, um, yeah. What well, I guess watch this space where where we'd be happy, I would imagine, with either signing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, you want to keep the guy that's here doing a great job. I think that's the priority, and I think the Parramatta Eels have made a, a very 
respect, like not not just respectable, but like a very competitive offer. Um, the the figure that was banned about the other day in the press, four years, two point five mil, I think is very reflective of Madison's talents and also the importance he could hold in the club moving forwards across that four year uh, span. Uh, without being uh, ridiculously over his value, and if the Dolphins want to go above that and offer him captaincy, there's not much else Eels can do. So if he, you know, if he does move on, Crichton is a very good backup plan. So, like I said, watch this space. Hopefully, the Eels can keep their man, or if not, land the uh, their replacement. So we'll be definitely be monitoring that. And I think that's uh, much of the NRL news for the Parramatta Eels and beyond done this week mate the only other thing is to end the podcast on a somber note uh, as we announce the passing of former longtime Parramatta Reels director Don Ritchie yeah we send our condolences and our sympathies to Don's family to his his friends and loved ones and thank him for his service to the club over all those years so um yeah uh, our, our sympathies to his family well said mate as always, thank you for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hopefully you enjoy the new format, which is much like the old format, but just everything split across three more uh, economic podcasts, I suppose, in terms of your listening time. Uh, give us any feedback you'd like in the comments. Otherwise, we'll catch you in the next episode, which will be the preview podcast for that clash against the Tricolors and the Sydney Roosters. Stay safe, and we'll catch you then. And if I haven't mentioned it, go you eels.